Hello, I'm Emily Grace, and welcome to the Stages podcast of Bernstein Private Wealth. Life throws lots of challenges at us. We're here to address them. For today's conversation, I've invited Brian Ebert, Chief Strategy Officer of Hackers Jack, to join us on the stage. Hackers Jack is a company whose mission is to educate kids about cybersecurity and teach them to be safe and successful in the digital world. If you or someone you know would like an intro to Brian, email me at emily.grace at Bernstein.com. Brian, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And I have to say, the first question that begs to be asked is you spent, what was it, three decades, 30 years in the Secret Service. So how did you end up making it from Secret Service to, you know, cyber safety, security, and sort of thriving children online in the digital world? Sure. Yeah, I, I retired last year after 30 years uh, in, the, in the U.S. Secret Service, and uh, the Secret Service has a dual mission that a lot of people aren't aware of both sides uh, of our mission. One side of it is our executive protection mission, which a lot of people uh, uh, know very well. Uh, that makes our, the movies. It makes the movies with the earpieces and the sunglasses and all that. Uh, and that's certainly an important part of our mission. But actually, uh, what we were created for initially in 1865 was to, by Abraham Lincoln, uh, was to help protect the financial infrastructure of our country. So back then it was primarily counterfeit currency, was a huge problem during the Civil War. Um, and our investigative mission grew to include credit card fraud when it came along, other types of check fraud and bank fraud. And as the internet came along, we, 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 we became very focused on uh, cyber enabled financial crime. So we continue to work financial crimes if a financial crime uses uh, the internet or cyber as a platform, then we generally have uh, jurisdiction in that area. If, if the crime is involves like a state actor or terrorism or a focus on critical infrastructure, the FBI generally has the investigative lead. Uh, we certainly work closely with the, with the FBI. They're on our task force, we're on their task forces. So throughout my career, uh, I got exposed to uh, a lot of, uh, cyber investigations and the Secret Service actually does a lot of work in the in the space of, of K through 12 kids. Um, we have a National Threat Assessment Center to support our protective mission. And after the Columbine shootings, the president asked us to use our resources there to, uh, to, to look into um, behavioral indicators of targeted violence to kind of look at past school shootings and and pull out common threads that we could turn into best practices to give well, back to the schools and the, and the police. Uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the Secret Service has been uh, a partner with them since they've been around. Uh, we help out with our cyber investigative skills, as well as our, uh, we have really strong polygraph or lie detector program that, right. that we make available to them. And then for a number of years, I was detailed to, uh, what for the last few years has been known as the CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which uh, does a lot of work in cybersecurity, obviously, especially where it pertains to, to critical infrastructure, but has a does have a, a big program focused on K through 12 safety and certainly cybersecurity, uh, cyber safety. Um, and so I worked there a number of years and, and got a a lot of positive exposure to this work to kind of help keep kids 
safe, especially in, in the cyber world. So after I uh, took some time off to spend um, spend time with my with my family and and uh, and my kids, and was looking to to kind of get into the private sector, um, this opportunity of Hackers Jack came along, and it it really piqued my interest to be able to kind of continue working to help ki keep kids safe, and uh, you know to be able to bring the the knowledge and the relationship I had to, to help Hackers Jack uh, in that space was was really exciting to me. So it's so, certainly been a transition. So it really is in your wheelhouse, right? This is not sort of a huge leap from Secret Service to Hackers Jack and keeping kids safe. Certainly the mission is, yes. is similar. And uh, the means are very different, right? It's going yeah. from primarily in, in investigating these sort of crimes uh, to, you know, being involved with directly educating kids about the threats that are out there and the opportunities that are out there in cyberspace so that they can be best prepared to, to protect themselves and to, to take advantage of the, uh, uh, of what the, you know, what, what the digital world has to offer. It's interesting when you talk about the threats, right? I feel like we're all very aware of, you know, the threat of the 50 year old man pretending to be much younger and sort of approaching your children online and, you know, all of that. What are some of the other risks that our kids might face online that might not be so obvious? Sure. Well, I mean, despite all the great stuff that the internet has to offer and the act in the access it provides uh, to, to just a world of, of information. Um, unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of threats out there. I mean, um, in no particular order of importance, because it, it, it just depends on context, but the, the theft of identification information or PII is it's often called personal identification information uh, of their information, but also of, of their family. Uh, or other people that they know. Um, also, just data, uh, personal data that that's out there about individual people that bad actors want to use for all sorts of, of nefarious, uh, 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 you know, goals that they might have, from from identity theft to uh, to financial crimes to to everything in between. Um, and then you have the more uh, you know, serious uh, criminal activity like kids being groomed by child predators, like you're talking about the person, pretend, you know, 50 year old person pretended to be a kid uh, looking to abduct or otherwise exploit children. Um, you've got the whole world of social media that's that's been opened up that kids are getting involved at a younger and younger age um, that involves, you know, a lot of potentially bad choices that kids can make, including sexting and other inappropriate behavior that will often have long-term negative consequences. Um, and then there's this, you know, it gets kind of lumped together in this big category, but the, the cyber bullying that can go on that either kids can commit, not fully understanding the consequences of how, to, how they're treating other people to being the victim of, of cyber bullying um, and, you know, that can lead to serious emotional trauma. So it's really, you know, everything from the theft of, of information uh, to, to these more serious, you know, uh, physical threats, as well as the social emotional uh, threats that are out there. 
Um, and, and then another uh, risk is that kids just don't learn how to um, navigate the cyber world in a productive way that can help them be successful in K through 12, in higher education, and, and generally in life. If that foundation's not there, it's going to be hard to catch up. Our kids are very good at intuitively seeking out the content that they want, but not, but, but for the most part, aren't being uh, educated in how to, you know, fully take advantage of what's out there and to navigate that space to their, to their benefit. So that's not an immediate threat, but that, that certainly is a risk for the, for the future of the gener of you know, the, the kids that are grow up to be the next generation of adults is that they're not, they're not learning how to get the most out of, uh, out of the cyber environment. What do you think are some of the things that we as parents could help our, could do to help our kids get the most out of the cyber environment? Well, I think it's all about as, you know, addressing most issue with, with kids, it's all about having really good lines of communication between parents and kids and to start a dialogue about, uh, about the internet and, and all, everything having to do with, um, uh, with cybersecurity across in terms of safety, in terms of security, in terms of uh, we call cyber hygiene, in terms of just the do's and don'ts and what you, sh what you should, should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, as well as talking about uh, the consequences of, uh, of certain actions and things, you know, stick around uh, for a really, really long time. It can come back to haunt people. So I think it's important that, that parents mix it up with their kids in terms of not just telling them all the stuff that's going to, that, that can hurt them and try to scare them into being, uh, making good decisions online, but also about helping them to explore all the, you know, all the wonderful content and opportunities and relationships and everything that the, uh, that the internet offers in a, in a positive light, you know, since we were heading in this direction anyway, but the, but the pandemic certainly um, sped it up significantly, but now all our kids in elementary school up through, up through high school have tablets and or, uh, and or laptops. So they're going to be in that space a significant amount of their time. And so it's impossible or nearly impossible, especially if you're accessing the public education system in our country to, um, the, to keep kids off of this technology. So vilifying it, I think is a bad idea, but opening up uh, dialogue, talking about the threats, parents themselves getting themselves getting educated about the threats and how to avoid them or mitigate them or respond to them if they happen. Um, letting their kids know, hey, if something happens and you make a bad choice, um, that it's okay to talk to us about it and we'll figure it out together and, 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 we'll, and we'll fix it. Um, I, all, all, this, all this positive uh, trashing can come out of you know, just having a good open, continuous dialogue. Is there sort of an age at which you start having this dialogue? I mean, I know you've heard me say before that I have this sense that sort of the tech talk is the new sex talk, right? And most people are now saying like, they just don't talk about it. And it, a, lot, a lot of abstinence, which often doesn't work out. And so like how early, cause I'm guessing you don't need to talk to your like one-year-old 
about the benefits and risks of being online, but when does that start? Well, I mean, I'm not going to give a hard age. I can tell you that the Hackers Jack, the formal um, uh, education curriculum that we have starts at third grade. Okay. And that's, and it's designed initially to go through seventh grade, although that's expanding because when they're in seventh grade, they're hitting that age 13 where they become eligible to be on a lot of social media. So it's sort of five years of, of curriculum to sort of build that foundation and all these different areas we've been talking about um, so that kids are ready to deal with social media. But I think that the, to, to answer your question, the best I can, as, as soon as you think it's close to the time your kids are gonna be exposed to uh, the digital world is when those conversations should begin. And every parent has to make that decision on their own. But I see kids pretty young being handed, you know, iPhones or Androids in restaurants to play some game uh, to kind of keep them occupied. And when you when that starts happening more and more, and I'm not passing any judgment on if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but that's when the dialogue needs to start. And obviously you don't need to, you know, at, at really young age, jump into a lot of the complex or, or really, really bad stuff, but just laying the foundation of what this works, talking about um, trust and what that means and who you can trust and, and you know, de defining some of these ideas you know, about passwords, about what the computer is, about what the internet is. So they understand the reality as, as they grow older, they, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have that foundation. I guess what's interesting, right, because you talk about even when we're handing it to them, the parent, but oftentimes in my experience, you know, yes, our kids use them with us, but it can often be also sort of on the school bus with a child who has it, right? Or at a play date. And so you know, we may have this sense that there's some, that we have control over it, but I feel like we may lose that really much faster than we think that we would. Well, now that, you know, young elementary school kids have, you know, they tend to have tablets more than laptops, but ha have these right. tablets, um, it, it's a huge problem in that the schools will throw up some firewalls and give the kids these, uh, these tablets and tell them to stay off of inappropriate sites. And the firewalls will protect that until they figure out how to go to a one site that gives access to another site and they can kind of get around the firewall, which most kids learn pretty quickly. Um, and but our kids are going to have these devices. And once they have them, the, that whole world is there, no matter how much we try to restrict it with firewalls and, and with other protocols. So I think it's really important to get that dialogue going at home early. And it's, and it's you know, a real gap right now in our society that we're not teaching our kids as part of their edu formal education at school, whether it's public school or private school, um, what they need to know in these areas. You know, it starts with the questions I was bringing up before, what's, what's a password, yeah. uh, what is media first in general, and then, okay, what is social media, and um, what are hackers, and uh, just sort of this basic understanding that, that you can kind of build upon 
And we use at Hackerstack spiraling education where we're constantly re-emphasizing the, the key points and assessing folks, the, the kids on to make sure that they have these key points and repeating them deliberately so that, so that they sink in over the years and we slowly introduce uh, you know, more and more sophisticated uh, issues to them. But I think, I think parents are fooling themselves if they don't think at a really early, early age, uh, especially once, once they're in school, that they're not going to start having access to this stuff, even if they're trying to restrict it somewhat. And I guess you were talking, right, when we think about the kids having access to this and thinking about sort of their, you know, I spend some time thinking about, you know, digital footprint, right, and what that could look like. And so, like, what are some of the things in someone's digital footprint, and let's think about, you know, kids in general, right, that can have a lasting impact? And how do we as parents, how do we help them think about that? Well, I mean, I, it's it's about the basic lessons that we try to that we've been teaching our kids for a long time, but before the internet. I mean, it's about you know choices and and consequences and like thinking thinking these things through, um, and you know that's certainly part of what we teach in Hackers Jack is is that that concept of uh, the shelf life of what of what, uh, how, you know, how long stuff lasts on the internet, uh, whether it's true or not, whether it's completely made up or it's accurate or it's a photo or if it's doctored, um, it, it's gonna be around a long, long time. And so it's all about making good choices, who you're gonna, you know, if it's on social media, I mean, who, who, you're, who you're gonna trust. A lot of this needs to be about a lot of the education of our kids needs to be about trust and that trust has to be there between kids and their parents. Um, and they need to understand the levels of trust that you trust, how you trust friends that you physically know and spend time with versus, you know, someone on the internet and, you know, ways that you can, um, you can, kids can try to see if somebody's maybe trying to groom them or trying to get into their group, that is somebody that they don't know what, you know, if they ask certain types of questions, et cetera, um, that they should be concerned about that and not connect with that person online, or if they have connected to, to disconnect. Um, but just, you know, some of them have to, I think it's a mixture of cautionary tales and there's plenty of them out there about, um, things on the, and most of us have personal examples, yes. hopefully they're normally low consequence, but most of us have our examples of something that's come around. Uh, usually it's embarrassed, but it, it could be more serious than that. Um, so I think we need to share these cautionary tales, um, but also at the same time, not have them so scared uh, that they can't, that, that they think it's all bad because if kids, if, if the internet's vilified in that way, they're gonna be hesitant to embrace the parts of it that, that they need to be successful in school these days and, and, and in life. So I think finding that balance and making kids you know, confident and you know, resilient as they uh, are spending more time in that space, socially for education, uh, for you know, sort of planning their planning their lives and living their lives, that's going to be a part of it. 
Um, I also think it's really important to connect kids back to the physical. Everything in the digital world connects back to the physical. There's a real person and who has real feelings um, and, uh, you know, and everything comes back to a physical nexus. So somebody steals the information, certain information, they can access your parents' bank account and steal the money. You know, that the physical consequence of that is, is that, you know, we, we can't pay the rent or, right. you know, we're not able to go to Disneyland on vacation. I mean, um, the, the real life consequences, because sometimes the digital world can seem make-believe. So connecting that to reality, I think, is, is part of the solution. I think it's a fascinating idea. I guess it, it's not so sort of outrageously new, right? But this idea that it does connect back to the real, right? And that person that you are talking with or texting with or messaging with has real feelings that can be impacted and that real money can go, can go missing. Are there ways that you can help children sort of think of like identify reliable sources online, right? Because I think about whether it's, you know, for research purposes or, you know, you mentioned earlier sort of like levels of trust, right? And friendship. And I think that we tend to think about online friendships as not as deep, but I would imagine that there are a lot of people who would argue that they can be just as deep or deeper and true and real, right? That people have made real connections online. You know, albeit we hear more about the cat fishing or whatever it's called, right? But like, I guess, how do you help your kids realize, you know, that if something's too good to be true, it probably is, or, you know, the, that something is, is reliable. Right. That I don't, so that my kid doesn't come to me and say brushing teeth causes cancer. I read it online. Right. Right. Well, as, as you get into the misinformation that can be flying around out there, it's, it, it, it is tough. I mean, I, I think number one, you talk to them about it all the time and we all have examples. People have tried uh, phishing attempts with you, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. you've received emails that were an attempt to deliver malware or to yeah. get you to click on something um, or you know try to get your information. Is to share those, and sometimes we we all have made some mistakes, right? And I think what? sharing. Sh <laughs> I'll just speak for myself. Um, and I think sharing those stories are really important, both what happened to us directly, but happened to our friends and colleagues that we hear about at the dinner table, bringing those uh, examples up. But it's also about, you know, trust covers so much territory. And again, that's a big foundation of the, of the Hackers Jack curriculum is, is exploring that and talking about that. Um, but what information can you trust is, is important. You know, I like taking my kids through Wikipedia and explaining this is a great source of information, but understand anybody can put whatever they want here, but for it to stay, they've got to cite it, meaning they've got to show where they got it from. And then yeah. you have to be able to click on that and go look at it. So once you kind of understand those ideas, um, you can get the kids to start questioning where, where the data is where it's coming from. So if it's a social media site where there's no rules at all, people can post wherever they want, unless it's somebody that's a person that's really trusted, that's built up over time, 
um, that they physically know or from school or is from some online program that's well established and they've been talking to them for a while um, that they if it's in social media they should have a very low degree of trust or confidence in in what they're reading and you know that that these are the type of sites you know whatever one's family believes is, is a good source of information yes um, that 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 you can trust but we you know we should always be coming back to the dinner table to to talk about it as well but it, it has to be they have to be give it that test and um be be really really careful because there's a lot of traps and there's a lot of smart bad folks out there that um uh that are constantly coming up with new and innovative ways to sort of hook kids in um, for all sorts of different nefarious purposes. And that's why it's so important that all of us in this space, you know, the FBI does great work in this space, um, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, National Cybersecurity Alliance, there's all these different public and uh, private and nonprofit organizations that are in this space that are and we've become really good, this community, at sharing this information with each other. Like, these are the trends we're seeing, and here's some ideas about how to counter them so that the different um, educational programs and platforms that are out there, so, to include Hackers Jack, is constantly updating the information to, to get, get it out to people in a way, kids specifically, that they are... Uh, aware of the um, some of the latest bad guy techniques out there because it's they're constantly changing things up and because they want you to trust them so they're trying right. to figure out new ways to establish that trust so we need to make sure that we're teaching that with kids and that that's why cybersecurity education for kids has to be on a continuum over the course of their of, you know of K through 12 and, and probably beyond and into adulthood so because it is constantly changing it's not it's not uh it, it's it's constantly changing and we need to you know keep kids up to date with what they need with what they need to know to keep themselves uh safe in that space it's interesting right when you talked about sort of phishing and malware and like into adulthood and i do think about the fact that at work we have cyber training right? We regularly have to do things on avoiding phishing, right? And avoiding, you know, avoiding malware and, you know, how to recognize if a site is legit or, you know, all things like that. And so it really sounds like it, it is something that has to start at a really young age and continue through time. I also wonder if like the location, like digital safety at home would be different than on the road, right? And I think about things like, you know, our kids posting where they are, right? I think I read someplace that like, you're never supposed to post where you are until you're no longer there, right? So like you post about your trip to Paris when you're back from Paris, right? Or whatever, like maybe that's too broad, but like to, you know, the restaurant or, you know, uh, and thinking about, or like the ability to track kids on their phone, right? Like, how how does home and like at home is it the bedroom versus the living room like how does location where kids are 
make a difference in how they think about it? Well, it, it makes a difference because the location services that our smartphones have um, are so specific now and they're so intertwined into so many of the applications that are popular among kids that that's part of the appeal and the kids love that. Right. I've got two 15 year olds. They can look and see where their buddies are. They can geolocate them pretty fast because most of them keep that on and the idea is it's very, it's not open to anybody who goes in. You have to be part of the trusted network. Uh, but of course, you never know who could get in and, or maybe who they let in thinking it was somebody else. So it's, it's, it's really scary. Um, and it, it can, it's certainly a best practice. This is easier said than done, I realize. Uh, but that, that those location services be turned off of devices so that, but that defeats the purpose of things like Snapchat where they're you know constantly taking little pictures and telling their story yeah. with their friends. And it's the whole point of it is to be contemporary and uh, that they all kind of feel connected that they're out there in the world doing these different things and sharing, sharing their lives. And so a parent can certainly make the decision to not allow that right. uh, or not allow it into a certain age. I mean, it's not, they're not supposed to be on it till 13 anyway. Um, but I can tell you being around a lot of teenagers these days that it is very calm. It, most of the kids are, are on these apps and they have the location services turned on. So there's definitely dangers there, which is why you know, we want kids to get that foundation of education. So they're much more likely to identify someone that's shown up and know that, hey, that, that's not the person that I know. Um, or questions that somebody might ask about what kind of, this would be younger probably, but you know, what mm -hmm. kind of car your parents drive or where do you live or your parents' home, like those sort of questions. So right off the bat, kids that, because kids are very trusting which is a beautiful thing about them, but it yeah. also makes them susceptible to a lot of these risks. So um, you don't want to kill that trust. You just want to uh, educate it and, sharp and sharpen it so the kids can be uh, selective and be in a position to, to identify when something's off and know that, that it's appropriate to go talk to my parents about it. Are there any tools? Because what I'm thinking is almost, right, the idea of saying no like you can't share your location, we're going to turn it off. And I wonder if that even causes safety issues for like parents who want to track their children. Does that get turned off or like emergency things, right? Like all those things that you want to have your location triangulated for. But is there anything, any way that you can, because what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is almost like limit the number of people who have access to your location. Right. So maybe you have 10 friends who you think should have access to where you are. Right. Not 3000, not all your followers on Instagram. Is there a way that you can sort of like clean that every month or you know, like that there's some system in place rather than just go and check every month and see who's fault, like who can see your location or am well, I? There, there, there are. Apps. I, am? I, I stepped on you. I'm sorry. Or am I showing how clueless I'm, I am? <laughs> Not or you're not. I mean, um, 
there's apps that 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 do those that do those sort of things. But I think you're hitting on an important point: is it's important for kids to limit their the groups um, yeah. on these different when you get when you when they get into uh, uh, in the teenage years to limit who they're sharing the the information with. Like there's a lot of the different social media applications there's a limited amount of stuff that's kind of out there public safe uh, yeah. public facing but kids that can see the details to include the geolocation information is very tight and it's people that they know you know physically and you know know well and as you know that's something that parents can check on and there's certainly um there's certainly apps to help Kind of clean that up and as as you called it and 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 keep that organized and tight so it doesn't doesn't get out of control um but I, i'd be remiss if i didn't say with, without getting too complicated or technical but on all sorts of sites to include apps there are third and fourth and all the way nth party um folks that can access information that often aren't the intent Okay. of the owners of the site but because they do business with this person who does business with this person um there's a lot of people out there looking at that data and that's more about privacy and about you know targeted marketing and things like that it can be about more nefarious things but yeah. um that's a bigger problem that you know we don't have um we don't have any sort of uh federal legislation in this space. I know it's being talked about right now. Uh, there's a bill that, that's being discussed. Um, you know, the European Union has, you know, GDPR, which is, yeah. which, which, which in California, some of the states, uh, California is probably the most progressive um, in these areas, but, but that's something that has to get fixed either uh, by the federal government or everybody, the private sector needs to get together and agree on something that seems unlikely. Um, but there's no regulation in that space at this point. Uh, and, th and that's more the, um, again, it's the cookies that, that you authorize. It is only a very, very small part of it. Um, it, it is a fact that big sites, uh, you know, pick, pick a big company, uh, is an example that there's hundreds of hundreds of third, fourth, nth party folks that have access to the data to people's data that uh, that the people that the, the business that owns the site isn't even aware of. So the, the, those are bigger problems that affect all of us as a society. Right. Um, and there's not much we can do about that individually or for our kids. But uh, I, you know, talking about these issues, I'd be remiss not to not to mention it. But right. If, not to bring up how wide it gets. Right. And that suddenly you think you're limiting the access of people to your children. And you're really providing complete strangers someplace else access to your children. Right. But what I think is really important is providing our kids a foundational understanding and, and then building upon it of cybersecurity and how this world works. So when they become teenagers and adults, um, that they will uh, be in a much better position to sort of question why things are the way they are and bring about positive chains, um, positive change, uh, but, but also on an individual level to 
again, be able to protect themselves against all the risks that are out there and, uh, and, and limit all the negative consequences that, that can come from, from those sort of risks. So it is amazing, right? Because we do know, right, the internet and technology are so important. And, you know, it, it's today, it's the future, right? We need our children to be, you know, smart and strong and educated and able to use them. And I think we'd be naive at this point to believe that we can keep our kids offline, right? It's how they learn, it's what the future is, it's how they connect with their friends. It's they do art that way, they do coding that way, right? Everything, and it's they watch things that way. But if you had to list or think about three, five, whatever it is, like a set number of things that parents could do, right? To to help their children be successful and safe online, what would those what would those be? Uh, at the risk of repeating myself, it's talk about it, talk about it, talk about it with with the kids. Okay, um, and create that family culture that we're we're going to talk about this and um, and stay in their business. I think is important. Yeah. I, I, the, you know, I think it's, I think parents in Hackers Jack, we teach seven year olds about how to, what a password is, what it's for and how to create a good one. That's the first module of learning that we have. If and you could only- hear me laughing, by the way, it's because my eight year old, first off, adores Hackers Jack. We do it every week. And she was, as soon as she's, as she does it, each module, she'll come and she'll be like, mom, the password to get onto our computer is no good. We need to revisit this. And I'm like, yes, but the system doesn't let us make it better. <laughs> so, sorry, keep going. But yes. No, that's, that's, <laughs> I, I, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, that's great to hear. But the, uh, um, it creates, the only person that, the only person that it, we say that a kid can share their password with is their parents, not their teachers, not their friends, parents. Um, and I think it's important that parents sort of carry carry that through as they get older. And if my kids have a password to something, uh, you know, our rule is you, you have to, you know, the parents have to have it. Have it. it doesn't, you know, we, each parent has to work it out with their kid in terms of what their balance is in terms of the privacy that that they think that their child should have. But I think that the parents, it's important that they have access to what the kids have access to and the kids know that. And, you know, they might not be going on every night or even every week to look at texts or to um, uh, look at the content they've been viewing. But if you go in and see that it's all, that there's nothing there, that obviously means it's been erased. And then that's you know, you know, you know that there's a problem and you need to have a conversation about it. So I think having that access, knowing what those passwords are, um, again, you know, you got to figure out that, that privacy angle, but I, I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, I think talking about things that are happening in the world uh, from big network intrusions that, that have the consequence of, you know, stealing, um, you know, millions of people people's personal identification information, like these stories that happen right. all too often. Um, these, some of these ransomware stories that have shut down actual cities uh, mm-hmm. and uh, other terrible consequences. 
to the more sinister stuff like the, the what the National Center for Missing and Exploiting Children works on, the abductions and exploitations and sex trafficking, um, both physically and, and of, of uh, pornographic images, child pornography. Uh, I think having that discussion so they understand true consequences. Again, part of it's to scare them a little bit, but it's just about them being aware. Uh, I, I think that right mixture of allowing them access when you think that they're mature enough and, and ready for it, uh, educating them on uh, how to be safe and secure um, and have good social emotional health in that, uh, in that space. And then you know, paying attention and staying on top of it, I think is, is what parents need to do. It's great, Brian. I mean, this is amazing. So thank you so much for, for speaking with us today. I mean, what I, what I really heard you say was that, you know, it takes work, right? And it's, you know, it's talking about, it's like parenthood in general, right? You don't get to just, you know, water them and send them out and hope that they turn out to be wonderful people. You, you have to take the time, you've got to talk, you've got to communicate, you've got to build trust, you've got to talk about that trust, who they can trust, you know, really make it part of your family ethos so that when things, you know, so that hopefully they know how to keep everything on the straight and narrow and going fabulous and well, but that when things do go wrong, the family's there to, to help them, the parents are there to help the children think about it. It would have been much better though, if you said, just push this button and it will all be great. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's, it's hard work and, and it has to be deliberate. You know, it really yeah. has to be thought out and deliberate and, and followed through on. And we're all swamped and have a lot going on. And it's, it's tough, um, you know, which is part of why, you know, we feel it's important for part of this to, to move to the schools, not to take the responsibility away from the parents, but, but that, you know, it's such a, a foundational piece of education these days, the digital world, that, yeah. that, that that's something that needs to be taught at that level, and then it can be a partnership with what the schools are teaching and not entirely on the parents when the parents aren't necessarily gonna have all the visibility into the into the education space, especially when they get bigger, so. To, say, to know um, about it, right? I think, I mean, as I mentioned, we get educated at work because even as adults, we don't know everything. And so, you know, the more, the more everybody's involved in bringing up the child on this, it sounds to me. A success. Well, I'm so appreciative to you and the team for, for creating this, for giving us access to it. And, you know, my daughter loves it. I love it. My son will be using it at some point. And, you know, and we're very appreciative. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for the opportunity to come on and uh, talk about this important topic. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So my team and I spend a good deal of our time helping dynamically wealthy families think about plan and invest for their values and throughout all the stages of life. If you'd like to speak with me, my family engagement team, or Brian, you can reach us at emily.grace at bernstein.com. Thanks for listening.